we're getting the dog from. Yes. Hello, out there in podcast land. Welcome to I Took a Right Turn with Rosalie and Robert. And we're coming to you from the beautiful Villa de Abbey Alley here on the south side of Mingo. <laughs> and uh, we are happy to once again have some good friends with us tonight. Uh, we have Michael and Tracy Wyatt, two former FBI agents who have uh, talked with us before and are going to share with us some very insightful things that they experienced in their time in the FBI. So, yes, and cool. there's been a, they're backed by popular demand. Backed by popular demand, There have yeah. been people requesting that we have them back on, and so if you've not heard them before, get out there and look at our podcast, you'll see that they're out there. Yeah, this but, is our fourth interview. Before we get started, I just want to put a plug in for my husband Robert's books. He is an author of 20 books that are available at Amazon. So if you just go out to Amazon and put in dr.owens, no, why is that wrong? Just put in Dr. Robert Owens in the search engine, search bar of Amazon, and it should bring me up. Okay, there you go, got it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thanks for inviting us over again tonight. We do enjoy our conversations. Mm-hmm. And... Um, if only you live closer, we could do it more often. Yeah. Well, you know, and we spent the majority of our career in the FBI in Denver, and coming over here is a walk in the park. I mean, I gotta say that uh, we used to drive two hours to go to a party. Because yeah, Denver's I get it. spread out. You know? I get it. We're used to driving too. We'd drive 40 minutes to an hour to get together with friends for church meetings. Right, yeah. we lived yeah. in metropolitan areas. I mean, to get anywhere it was yeah. that long. Yep, so uh, the drive from our casa to your casa is, uh, is a walk in the park. But uh, we kind of wanted to talk about a uh, situation that we both experienced at the same time. And uh, obviously we were both in the FBI at the same time. Uh, we worked completely different matters. And in this case, uh, I was called out as a hostage crisis negotiator to the incident at Columbine. And Michael got there kind of by accident because he worked a different violation and different funding streams. And of course, this is all federal government. So anybody that's worked for the federal government out there understands the funding stream comment. But uh, Michael was only supposed to be working certain types of cases. And consequently, uh, he was needed to help uh, bring some items to the uh, Columbine uh, area, where a staging area. And typical FBI agents, we only have half our gear with us at any given time. And it was realized that we needed ballistic vests. So somebody called back to the office, and Michael and his partner were there, so they brought ballistic vests to Columbine. And once you're at an incident, you're not leaving. So they were there uh, for the, the entire day, uh, as was I. And you had, the difference was, you know, she had a mission. Um, I was kind of wandering around. <laughs> uh, and the, in the course of that, 
it, it's it's hard if you haven't lived in that southern part of Denver, Denver area, to kind of understand. Columbine was a very, very wealthy young school. I mean, well, wealthy school. The kids, the students, drove much better cars than the teachers. They drove, you know, BMWs and Porsches, and the teachers drove a teacher's drive. And um, Columbine sits down below a city park. Well, actually, it's a county park. Cause Columbine was not in Littleton. It was outside Littleton city limits in Jefferson County. So there was a park above it. And about halfway down between the park and the, and the school was the underclassmen parking lot. Well, that later on becomes an interesting story. Yeah, we uh, gotta lay a little groundwork to completely understand that. But anyway, there was no, I was going no place. And so I was just kind of there. Yeah. So I, I get called out and um, uh, told to meet at Columbine and as a hostage crisis negotiator, um, one of the things that we did was our team was there, the Denver negotiators team was there, there are a whole bunch of different negotiator teams there. And because this was such a horrific event in play, uh, everybody, all uh, jurisdictions showed up, even juris and there were no federal violations for the FBI to be involved in until later on when we started looking at the weapons violations. But that day at that time, we were just there to assist. Well, when we see different movies and stuff on television, when the FBI shows up, they take over and everybody else has to just... I know that tickles me because do you um, see that though? If you see oh, that? see it. I, you see it all the time. Show a flash the badge. FBI. Yeah, FBI. Oh, I, I, I'm in command now. Yeah. Um, if you've ever been around any street cops, remember the street cops are different than FBI agents. They all started out in a patrol car. Um, these are some very hard men and hard women. And if you show up and say, I'm in charge, you might end up taking those credentials and walking funny because they put them someplace. For you. <laughs> so you can't take over. We offer assistance. Sometimes on a federal violation, we'll, we'll say, well, it would be easier for us, and it usually is, easier for us to take it to court. And they start thinking about resources, and then it's an agreement. But it's only ever agreement. We don't, I have never seen us walk in and yeah. say, On TV, it's on the, the agent in charge. Yeah, yeah. never. Well, I have a question about the hostage negotiation. Yeah. Okay, you said the FBI team was there and the Denver team was there and everybody, all these teams. If it had turned, and I know it didn't, but if it had turned out to be a negotiation, who would have done it? Well, and actually it wasn't Denver's jurisdiction either because it was Littleton, Jefferson County. It was Jeffco. Jeffco. So um, technically their negotiators would have had jurisdiction. Uh, Denver brought their mobile command post, which was, is a full-size motorhome, and it's all tricked out with all of the equipment that the negotiators need to stay for a length of time and maintain communications for as long as necessary. So what it looked like to me at the time was that we were going to use the Denver Mobile Command Post. Our, our FBI tech guys were laying down telephone wires and uh, all kinds of technical things 
that they did to enable us to initiate communications. And this brings us to an interesting point where we want to talk about what went wrong that day and what we have learned from that incident. And that is the, the thought of the day and the, and the way we handled these things then was completely different than it is now. And the philosophy was you get your perimeter set up, you get your communication set up, you are the, the judge of when you want to initiate that contact. So there was a lot of standing around, waiting for the perimeter to be set, the SWAT guys to be in place, all of the wires to be laid down so we could get phones into the building. And in the meantime, we hear the final two shots go off. We don't know that that's, those are the suicide shots at that time, but that was the end of it. And we are still setting up a perimeter, uh, which leads us to the um, change in tactics from then to now. Yeah, the, you know, it, we, I cannot think I mean, of one thing that we did right that day, and I wish I could. I wish I could think, well, you know, at least we did this. And I don't have one. I don't have one thing. And, you know, I'm old enough to have been around before SWAT. Well, at least, you know, LA had SWAT and the FBI was starting to get into SWAT. But for the most part, you know, my police department had 145 people on it. We didn't have a SWAT team. Had this happened to us, you know, we'd have kneeled down in the dirt with a stick, the way most of you did when you played touch football. And you would, we would have said, Bobby, you go left. Johnny, you go right. Uh, I'm going straight up the middle. Please yell out, blue, 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 and don't shoot me. And we'd have, we'd have gone in that, we'd have rushed that building with three guys. And that's what should have happened. The first six guys there, they had six people there almost immediately. Had they gone in then, you know, it, w things would have been very different. But I think the shooters knew this. Instead, you know, we got ready for a hostage situation. It would go on for days and... You know, now we want blueprints, and we want to know when the SWAT team goes in, how they're going to clear, and people are dying. Well, we don't do that anymore. You know, the first people there are going to go in, and we're going to stop this madness before it goes any farther. And our uh, modern-day police departments typically train for these kinds of activities now. And they... Uh, Usually the departmental policy is to first there make the entry and start clearing the building and looking, looking for the threat. Um, something that happened from that day to today is that there is a uh, system, uh, it's not a, a system, but a, a program called ALICE. And this came into being after Columbine because a guy sat down with his wife who was a principal, uh, I believe she was a principal at an elementary school, and he said, if this happened at your school, what would you want to happen so that you could protect your students and your faculty? And they conversed about this and, and came up with this plan, ALICE, which is alert, lock down, inform, counter, and evacuate. Uh, none of these things uh, have to be done in any specific order, but this is 
uh, a program designed to, and law enforcement goes into schools and teaches the faculty what to do, teaches the uh, students what to do. There are different levels of this program for different levels of um, age of student. So you wouldn't have a high school group do the same thing as an elementary school group. But it's all designed around what do we do in our school, in our classroom, if the bad thing happens. So this is what happened, this is training for uh, anybody inside the building to assess the situation and make an informed decision about what is the best reaction for us. So if the killing is going on in the south side of the building and you're on the north side of the building, the best way to, for you to survive is to evacuate, not lock down. If you are on the south side of the building and the shooting's going on or the killing is going on outside your classroom, lockdown is your best option. Mm. And then how are you going to escape that room if you need to? And Michael and I both taught on the college level after we left the FBI. And one of the things that we had in our classrooms, and, and life being funny, we're both certified Alice instructors now. Uh, we both had hammers in our classrooms so that we could break out windows and escape through windows. Uh, we had buckets in our classroom so that if we were locked down and people needed to go to the bathroom, there, we could make a little human curtain around whoever had to use the bucket. Um, I had uh, water and snacks, and uh, I don't know if you had that. I didn't have the water and snacks. No, I figured they could survive a little while without water and snacks. <laughs> that's the, but that's the mom in me. Yes, I exactly. Guess. <laughs> and um, so, you know, like Tracy said several times, we find it uh, ironic that we were at the, at the birth of the reason for Alice. And it's, got, it's had its name changed. Other organizations have picked it up. I know the FBI has their own name for it. And so, you know, it has... It's uh, run, hide, fight. It's got, it's got a bunch of different names. But what it does is protect the students have a way to at least fight back if they need to. And yet, do you think the implementation of this has uh, had an impact on subsequent shootings at school? Oh, I think most certainly. I know that um, unless there are, the uh, school resource officers have stopped many, many shootings now. I mean, you don't hear about it because, you know, nobody died. But they do it all the time. So, um, yes, it's had a, it's had a, I think a lot of kids are alive today because of what happened, at the, the mistakes of Columbine and how we sought to rectify them. Well, we want to thank you both for coming in and sharing and uh, look forward to some more in the future that you could uh, share from your vast experience, you know, and uh, we just want to tell everybody, tune in again when you get a chance. We want to Thank uh, Michael and Tracy. <laughs> we appreciate them very much that uh, they have come in here and shared this uh, interesting uh, information with us. And come on back and hear us again sometime.